Welcome to the Southern New Hampshire University Speaker Series Podcast. My name is Doug Blaze. I'm a professor of sport management at Southern New Hampshire University. I'd like to welcome Mr. Dave Hoffman, the Senior Director of Community Engagement for the 17-time World Championship Celtics. This podcast is made available through our partnership with the Celtics. SNHU is the official education provider of the Boston Celtics. Welcome, Dave. Uh, You've been in your current role for close to eight years. Can you provide us a brief background on how you got to this position? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's worth noting um, that I am a bleed greener. Um, I have, uh, there's countless pictures in my parents' house of me uh, uh, wearing old school Celtics starter jacket. So I'm a a big Celtics fan, um, kind of at the core from a basketball standpoint. Professionally, um, after I graduated college and I came back uh, to Boston, trying to figure out kind of how to get started um, uh, on the professional end of things. Um, I became really passionate about um, kind of the, the uneven playing field that existed between young people as far as opportunity and access to education, opportunity and access to, to safety, opportunity and access to all the things that as a, um, a privileged person I, uh, I had the benefit of growing up in, in, in from an environment standpoint. And, I wanted to try to figure out a way to um, to contribute to that positively, to try to even uh, the playing field. Um, I'm from Brookline, Massachusetts, originally. Um, for those that are familiar with um, with Massachusetts and the Boston area, Brookline is a, a stone's throw away from uh, some of the communities that um, have a lot of violence and uh, and poverty rates and stuff like that. But a completely different world. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I, uh, I wanted to contribute to that, and really, for me, it was about marrying multiple passions. So it was about marrying the um, social justice passion with sport, and that's the unique thing about sport, and there's some other industries like that as well, but you can marry a, a lot of different passions in the sport industry. You can be a graphic designer and marry that with sport. You could be an accountant and marry that with sport. You could be a doctor and marry that with sport. You could certainly be a social justice person or a community person, a community advocate, and marry that with sport. And so um, my first foray, um, kind of a, a foundational experience for me was getting to work um, at Northeastern University Sport and Society under um, a guy named Peter Roby. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter ended up uh, being the AD of athletics um, um, after uh, after his time at Sport and Society. Um, it's a great program. And yeah, and, and it was really foundational for me as far as um, you know teaching me a whole bunch of life skills, but really kind of putting some, um, some uh, research behind uh, the trends in how sport can be used as a catalyst uh, to address really plaguing social issues. And so my job was to travel around the country facilitating violence prevention, diversity, and leadership workshops with current collegiate or professional athletes. So we worked with almost all the rookie transition programs in the big major uh, American League professional leagues. Um, um, we uh, we worked with a lot of the colleges, and universities, all the way from the Division One level all the way down to Division Three uh, level, and then a lot of high schools and middle schoolers. And so that was critical for me as far as really kind of helping to equip current athletes with the platform uh, to do good in the world. Um, I went from there um, briefly to uh, a nonprofit organization called Metro Lacrosse here in Boston, 
Um, that was kind of a, a, a close your eyes and, and dive in situation. I'd never seen a lacrosse game in my life, never touched a lacrosse stick, not a lacrosse guy in any way, shape, or form. Um, but they uh, they wanted to uh, to bring me in to kind of help uh, create some of the life skill stuff that they were doing uh, with the young people that were playing lacrosse here in the Boston area. And then uh, about a year in, um, the Celtics called. Um, and I had done some work with them uh, collaboratively through my time at Sport and Society. And so uh, when they called, um, I, uh, I had an opportunity to, uh, to, to interview for a, a position here in the community relations at the time department. And um, that was a couple days before the season started, 2010-11. So that was the star-studded roster of Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Rondo, Shaq. Big Baby, Delonte West, uh, on and on. Not a bad time to be starting with the I thought I was going to run right into a championship, um, which would have been uh, which would have been great timing. Um, but uh, but we we, uh, we got we had some health issues that year, and um, and uh, it it was um, a really incredible time. Um, you think about 2010 in the sports industry and kind of the where it was to where it is right now with the digital age and the social media age and the kind of the boom from a cause, uh, sport-based kind of cause marketing, cause social responsibility standpoint. So it was a really great timing. I've been here ever since, um, since um, kind of gotten the keys to the department. Um, and then uh, ultimately we ended up integrating our foundation, the, the Shamrock, Shamrock Foundation, foundation. Um, into community relations, into one for many reasons. Um, and here we are, and we've uh, had a lot of exponential growth in the programs that we've been able to um, kind of uh, create from scratch. A lot of uh, really great work, but um, I, as my uh, awesome department always hears me say, I think we're only scratching the surface. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, well, you, you certainly have a strong presence in, in the community. Uh, can you discuss the organization's philosophy on community engagement? Yeah, so I mean, you know, ultimately, you know, we, we focus most of our time, energy, and effort on, on helping kids and families. Um, and, and that really fits into kind of two different buckets. Um, there are um, a whole bunch of initiatives where we are essentially trying to take a, um, a bucket of assets that we have access to and incentivize behavior. So whether we're trying to work with the school district to get kids to be better attendance, um, boost their GPA in chronically failing core academic uh, areas, um, getting kids uh, who need to be more physically active, physically active, um, getting kids to understand the importance of nutrition and, and um, kind of the, the, the whole education around nutrition and the fuel that you put in your body and the output that that, go, that, that gives. And so really kind of what, how can we utilize access to players, tickets to games, um, branded gear and swag, anything in our bucket of assets, how can we use them as Celtic carrots to dangle in front of young people to get them to do whatever it is that program is designed to do? And so the analogy I always use to really drive home the point, from a traditional consumer standpoint, if, if a consumer wanted to come to a Celtics game, the, the consumer gives us money and we give the consumer the ticket. It's really easy to wrap your mind around that exchange. Um, if a consumer wanted a Celtic hat, they give us money and we give them the hat. Again, really easy to wrap your mind around the exchange. Our community initiatives on that end of the house is really the same thing, but the, the same exchange, but the currency that we're using isn't dollars. The currency is effort, 
behavior, performance, or in some cases a combination of all three in exchange for these um, things that uh, you, some of the things you can buy as a consumer, but the demographic we are working with can't afford, one, their kids, and two, because they don't have, uh, they don't, they're not from environments that have disposable income at that level. Um, or you can't buy, can't buy access to players and stuff like that. And then the other end of our work is around uplifting spirits. And so there's a whole lot of kids and families out there that are going through really difficult times, whether it's uh, food insecurity, whether it's shelter, whether it's violence, whether it's uh, medical stuff, chronic illness, stuff like that. And so we spend a lot of time uh, kind of uplifting spirits uh, as well and trying to provide uh, the essentials. Excellent. Uh, one of your more recent programs is the Playbook Initiative. Uh, and the more I looked into this, the, the more exciting I thought it was. And you guys are really taking community engagement to the next level with this initiative. Could, could you just give us a background on that playbook initiative and how it came about yeah sure um it is certainly one of the things that we are most proud of from a community standpoint especially in the current landscape um kind of of, of where we are as a as a community um so um kind of turning the clock back to the fall of 2016 um this was the the kind of the run-up to the presidential election um this was um uh, a um a boom in the kind of broad awareness of um, some incidents of uh, police um, uh, using physical force and deadly force uh, disproportionately to black and brown uh, um, citizens. Um, and uh, in response to that, um, football player quarterback for the 49ers, Colin Kaepernick, um, decided that uh, he was going to use his platform during these NFL football games to take a knee during the anthem. Um, and so in the context of all that, you know, the NFL season starts a few months before the NBA season. And so kind of had the benefit of a league, as a league, of being able to kind of um, kind of be ready for this when players got back into town and to be able to, um, to have a, a, a really great dialogue um, with the players on – uh, how they felt about these issues and um, giving them support and kind of the, the tailwind to be able to advocate uh, on behalf of these issues should they choose to. And so I was tasked by the organization, our team president, uh, Rich Gotham and um, Brad Stevens, Danny Ainge, um, Wick Grousebeck and, uh, and Steve Paliuka, our owners, um, with helping to facilitate a dialogue with the players on these issues. And um, you know, this went on uh, through kind of the, the kind of mid-September when players start to come back to town, uh, pre- preparing for the season, all the way through training camp, kind of a progression of a dialogue um, around how we felt about these issues. We had one-on-ones, we had group conversations, we had full team conversations, we had speakers come in just to kind of kind of churn and be a catalyst for the dialogue within the locker room. And as we were having those conversations, conversations that were, which, which the objective was to figure out if the team wanted to do something and if so, what they wanted to do, it became increasingly clear throughout that progression that the value of the dialogue was the most important part. They were just getting tremendous value with just talking about these issues because the locker room was a microcosm of society. There's 15 players in that locker room, I think, 
um, this year I think we have seven countries represented in our locker room. Last year it was a couple less, but certainly international. Um, people coming from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different perspectives. And so um, ultimately we decided that um, perhaps we should spend our time trying to kind of, um, you know, provide a opportunity for young people to have a similar dialogue that we were having in our locker room. Why young people? Well, because if you invest in them now, those young people in 10 years, 15, 20 years from now, turn into people, um, adults in positions of power and leadership, whether it's hiring managers uh, at companies and corporations, whether it's police officers, whether it's coaches, parents even, uh, from an influence standpoint. And so if we can kind of uh, use our power and platform as the Celtics to be able to have this dialogue with young people, then um, we felt like we could potentially derail some conscious or subconscious bias before they're fully formed, uh, before they get to adult stages. Um, and so we piloted uh, some conversations. We brought players out and coach, coaches out into the community last year and piloted some of the conversations and came away with some kind of awesome knowledge um, on, on how this might look if we wanted to really um, put a lot of time and energy into, um, into crafting it. And we landed in a really awesome place this year. And um, we essentially took uh, about 30 students from um, a town in northern Massachusetts called uh, North Andover and 30 students from uh, a neighboring city in Lawrence um, two couple hundred years ago, someone drew a line in the sand, and they said that part of the, that side of the line is is North Andover, and that side of the line is Lawrence. And as a result of that line, these kids are growing up in fundamentally different environments. Lawrence is um, uh, low income, uh, uh, heavy black and brown, mostly uh, Spanish speaking, um, and uh, on the other side of the line, and in this case, three and a half miles separate these two schools. Um, uh, majority white. Uh, affluent um, higher income in North Andover. And so what we thought was important was let's bring these groups of kids from fundamentally different backgrounds but close geographical communities together to have this dialogue. Why? Well, because you wouldn't go into a women's shelter and talk to the females about how not to be abused. And so we wouldn't go into a community of color and tell them racism exists. Um, they know that. They experience it. It's really about being able to share experiences across demographical lines so that everyone can kind of hear the perspectives so that we can work together to be able to alleviate some of this stuff. The key ingredient to this initiative was the idea that as basketball players, Coach Stevens equips our team with schemes and strategies and X's and O's in the form of a playbook. Um, and we practice those plays hundreds and thousands of times, either on the court in a game or on the court in practice or on video, what they call film work, all with the goal of being able to execute when the lights come on, when it's a game one of an Eastern Conference Finals. Um, it, the more times you get reps at those plays, the better off you're going to be and the more that the team can pivot on the fly depending on what the defense is doing. And so if you take that idea and you extract it from sports, and you put it into social situations, is there a way that we can prepare people to be able to recognize bias when it's happening in real time and then equip them from the bystander's perspective 
with the tools to be able to intervene safely. And that's really critical to say safely, right? Because a lot of times people feel like there's two options. There's fight and or flight with an L. And those are at completely opposite ends of the spectrum, physically intervening or saying, uh, I don't want to intervene for whatever reason, probably because of social consequences or physical consequences. So I'm going to choose to do nothing and I'm going to walk away. And so if we can put together a realistic set of social scenarios that make sense for middle schoolers and have this dialogue with them from the bystander's perspective, can we then prepare them to safely intervene when these situations come up? And so that's the crux of the program. We went through about six different workshops with them and we ultimately ended up creating a student-authored playbook. A set, a book of 25 scenarios, five for in each of the five different um, kind of ism areas, mm-hmm. racism, a race, um, gender, sexual orientation, disability, and culture, ethnicity. Um, and so we have a book now. It's available on Celtics.com forward slash playbook for free as a teaching tool for coaches, for parents, for teachers, whoever, as a, as a kind of a means to have this dialogue kind of grounded in realistic, real-life situations. And we think it's pretty powerful and um, we're working on uh, how this thing may evolve into next year. Yeah, I think it's very powerful. Uh, Jalen Brown, in discussing the playbook, stated that education is the key, but application is the ignition. I thought that was a, f- a fantastic way to describe this because you're really taking it from you know, that first step of the education, as you said, but really getting them involved. And when I reviewed the playbook, out of the gate, the first one about race is very powerful. And I'm assuming that the, 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 the players who went through uh, the first few stages probably felt it, it beneficial for them, as you said, just the discussion part of it. But the fact that it was these middle schools who were able to put together is, is fantastic, and they have ownership of that. Yeah. So uh, first, Jalen Brown is incredible. Um, we're, we're fortunate. We have a, a, a locker room of, of just amazing people. Um, he's a better human being than he is a basketball player, and he's, he's pretty darn good uh, on the court um, and really passionate about social issues and, and, and being an advocate for it and all those things. Um, yeah, our players get a lot of value. Like I said, this whole thing was born out of, out of the kind of epiphany that having the dialogue was the most valuable part. Um, and so uh, players got a lot out of the conversation. Uh, Coach Stevens uh, attended workshops. Al Horford attended workshops and was blown away. Uh, Marcus Smart attended workshops, Jalen Brown, um, and um, the uh, the kind of consistent feedback that I got directly from them was that they felt like they got more out of it than the kids, and that wasn't to discredit the value that the kids were getting out of it. It was to amplify the value that they were getting out of it. Well, that's great. Uh, so next steps for the Playbook Initiative. I know you've discussed a Train the Trainer program. Yeah, we're trying to figure it out. Um, we, uh, we're, we're taking a step back right now, kind of um, as we get into um, the, pl- the, the off season after the playoffs are over to kind of reevaluate and figure out the best next steps for us. Um, there's a bunch of different ways we could go. Um, we could train people to, use, to utilize it as a teaching tool. We could create another one. We could create another one for high schools as opposed to this one, which was created for middle schools. Um, we could um, do a little bit of hybrid of both, um, but we're gonna we're gonna figure out kind of the best um, next steps over the off season. And um, my guess is that we'll we'll learn a lot of things that um, worked really well uh, next year, and then we'll we'll pivot from there and, and continue to try to evolve this thing and really do our part to try to um, 
be a, a positive uh, influence when it comes to these ever-present, hundreds-of-year-old issues. And much needed, unfortunately. Uh, how does the NBA support these types of um, local programs at, at the team level? Great question. We're, we're fortunate um, both to have uh, internal support here from our executives and our ownership group. And we're also um, fortunate to have the support of the NBA. The NBA has always been socially conscious. Um, Chuck Cooper was the first black player drafted into the NBA by the Celtics um, in 1950. So if you think about 1950, that was kind of before the defined kind of window of time that they call the civil rights movement, although I'd still argue that the civil rights movement is still happening. Um, and so um, sport is a catalyst, and I think the NBA realized that early. First league to have a black coach, first league to have an all-black starting lineup um, or you know, starters, first league to draft uh, black players, stuff like that. And, and so um, I think that, um, that uh, that's part of the DNA of the NBA, and I think it, 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 is, it is walked the walk and talked the talk at the highest levels all the way up to Adam Silver with the values of the game. Um, and the NBA has been really supportive of the Playbook Initiative itself and even promoted it within um, within the, the, the NBA family to the other teams in the league, our counterparts of the other teams, as a best practice um, should they want to try to uh, make a positive impact on these issues. Well, that's great. Not surprising. Uh, since, since you've been here with the Celtics, do you feel that uh, players in general have become more socially conscious? I think it looks different. Um, I'm not sure it's more than it was in previous eras. It's hard to say that Bill Russell isn't the most socially conscious athlete in history um, with, with everything that, that, that he did to contribute to the, to the civil rights era. Um, um, but it, I think it looks different. So I, I think that their, their, um, their advocacy is coming at younger ages. They're growing up in a much different environment in, in the digital age. Um, they realize and recognize the power of their platform and their celebrity um, at a younger age. Um, I think they're willing to kind of get out front um, and be the face of social issues and community work uh, more early on. And so um, it's a really, really incredible time uh, to be in my position where you're responsible for um, kind of removing the obstacles and providing the, the tailwinds for players to be able to do good uh, in our community here in Boston, in the New England area, um, or helping them to kind of, just from a development standpoint, understand um, just how much they can accomplish in their roles and doing that wherever they think it needs to be done. That's great. Uh, I know between your office and the Shamrock Foundation, you said now that's, that's been merged, uh, hundreds of programs annually. How do you go about measuring the effectiveness of those programs? It's a great question. Um, so in my previous stops, you know, I was in the nonprofit sector, right? And so at a university, at a very grassroots uh, organization, and then here in the profession, professional sports ranks. Um, and um, I'll tell you one of the biggest differences in professional sports compared to my previous two stops is that there is not a ton of pressure to prove that you're moving the needle from the ex external factors, mm -hmm. right? Um, the world expects us to raise a lot of money and give a lot of money away. The world expects us to bring players to into the community and give an awesome experience to young people. 
But the world doesn't expect us to move the needle when it comes to literacy rates. The world doesn't expect us to do a lot of the things that we feel like we can do. Um, the pressure just isn't there. Um, so that, that pressure really needs to come from within, from within our walls and even within the NBA family as a, as a kind of a way to say we can do better and we, we should be using data to be able to determine how we're doing. Now, at the other side, the other part of the business, like every other part of the business is really grounded in data and metrics, right? Dynamic pricing on tickets, different corporate sponsorship related uh, information, certainly the digital age with social media reach and impressions and demographics and all these different things. And so those two things are really out of whack from a sports industry standpoint where the community operations aren't necessarily um, putting as much emphasis on the measurement of impact or at least haven't been pressured to do so. And so for us, we, um, we pick and choose our spots. Um, I, I, I mentioned earlier that the unique thing about the sports industry is that you can marry multiple passions together. And so we have PhD data analytics folks here as Celtic employees. Some of them are measuring marketing reach. Some of them are pricing things in our business. Some of them are measuring the effectiveness of basketball players, the combination of basketball players, scouting basketball players, providing Danny Ainge and others with information to determine who we should trade for, who we should not trade for, who we should put on the court together with, and all those different things. That's an incredible expertise to have here in our back pocket. And so we have an initiative um, called Step Your Game Up, which is an education-based initiative, which is essentially trying to incentivize the chronically failing and chronically um, not attending uh, middle school students to, to boost both of those areas. Um, and it's a, 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 the entire thing is rooted in data. We use it, the criteria for selection for the students is to determine who's chronically failing. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of different incentives and prizes and rewards that get triggered based on performance. Um, and we think that it is an incredible model from a community standpoint of professional sports and certainly replic replicable in any city that professional sports operate in, but we have to prove it. And so we ask our basketball analytics folks, um, we call them the Basketball Intelligence Agency here, the BIA as a take on the CIA. They have a, <laughs> a SEAL uh, logo on the outside of their office area in That's our practice great. facility that was created. It says, in red, we trust. Um, um, one of the, uh, the guys there, David Sparks, who's um, uh, beyond uh, brilliant, um, helps us uh, kind of create the um, data criteria and then works with the school district to be able to analyze that data. And the data is, um, is uh, sterile, uh, sterile enough to be able to measure the impact as you strip away all environmental factors of player appearances, the impact of access to facilities, the impact of tickets to games, the impact of being able to shoot around on the court after the game as it relates to being a motivating factor for chronically failing and not attending students um, to, to do better um, to the point where we were able to present at the MIT Sports Analytics Conference uh, a, a, a march ago mm -hmm. um, and the first community you know pro team community initiative uh, ever presented at that conference well that's truly walking the walk it's cool to be able to have that type of access uh, in our back pocket because you know the, re the reality at the end of the day is it's unfair for us to ask our beneficiary organizations 
to spend time, energy, and resources on telling us if we're doing good. Um, but we really want to know that because we want to do better. Um, and so we have to bring that type of resource to the table so that they can continue to do the things that they're desperately trying to do um, within the amount of resources that they have to work with. Right, Dave, we're going to just take a quick break and then jump into networking and breaking into the industry. At Southern New Hampshire University, our career-focused degrees are designed to fit your life and your goals. If you're a student interested in job opportunities or receiving support from an advisor at any stage of your career, contact the SNHU career team today. Dave, you recently tweeted about the Timberwolves receiving over 600 applications for their social media coordinator position. Uh, so in your role, I know you must interview a number of candidates, both full-time and internship positions. Uh, what specifically are you looking for in a candidate, and how does this, someone distinguish themselves from the crowd? Yeah, great question. Uh, so to take a step back, a couple summers ago, uh, I was in Vegas for uh, the NBA annual NBA uh, league meetings. Um, it, 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 there's Summer League out there, and then running concurrently with Summer League is the business side of the house gets together with everyone from every other team at the league level. And I remember during one of the opening sessions, um, uh, Adam Silver talked about just the industry and how much talent is looking to get into the industry. And they started talking about the amount of applications that we're getting on the business side of the house compared to the percentage in which we're actually end up, end, ending up hiring. And then they put up a slide and talked about the amount of applicants into colleges, universities, even Ivy League colleges, universities, and what, and how, what percentage of them are being accepted. And the NBA is actually more selective than the Ivy League. And that's not surprising. Um, yeah, not surprising, but an interesting way, right? So the, 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 um, the reality is that the Ivy League probably has a much better criteria of getting through that candidate pool and a much better process of getting through that candidate pool than the professional sports uh, leagues and teams do um, or traditionally have. And so I think we're getting more sophisticated as we go. Most people will say you got to get an internship. Um, you know, get an internship, get your uh, foot in the door, get to know people in the industry um, and, and all those things. And all that stuff certainly helps. I think it's more about being able to build up a, level, a set of expertise that is outside of I love sports. Um, and so you hear that a lot, right? You hear I'm a big sports fan. Sports has been great for me in my life. It's allowed me to travel all around. It's allowed me to have the best friends in the world and all those different things, learn these life skills and all that stuff. And that's awesome. And same, ditto, ditto for me as well. I think what candidate, what you know, people that would like to pursue a career in sports should be focused on is really building up a set of expertise outside of the sports industry, right? And so when we went to go hire someone to run our fitness and nutrition outreach programs, I didn't care if the person worked in sports or not. It was a matter of, do they have fitness, nutrition, outreach program creation experience um, I could teach someone the ins and outs of the sports industry once they're here you'll learn that you can learn a whole sport management degree in probably about six months if you're in the right environment um, it's more about being being more dynamic and bringing in that second set of expertise right and so um, I think when you're thinking about hey I'd love to do uh, you know marketing in in sports right go get your marketing expertise up um, not not just the sports management stuff, not just the sports stuff. Social media. Social media, Analytics. right? Become a, a, a look at it as a craft, right? Go and and find ways to be a student 
of what's happening in social media land, not just in sports, across the board. Because the reality is that sports has a lot to learn from other industries in a lot of these other areas. And so um, I think a lot of it is um, kind of figuring out what you're what you're most passionate about and then going and getting really tangible, awesome experience in those areas and then trying to marry it with sports. That's great advice. Uh, what about specifically for individuals wanting to break into community engagement? Somebody wants to come into your department. So I think on that front, kind of just to echo my, my previous point, right? We're looking for people that understand social justice. We're looking for people that understand uh, that there is a clear-cut disparity in opportunity and access to some kids than there are to other kids. Uh, we don't look at our work as charity. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with charity. I mean, we have charitable initiatives, right? Making a donation to a nonprofit organization is a charitable thing. Um, but we don't look at our programs as charity. Uh, we look at it as an obligation and responsibility to help a level the playing field for the demographic that we're trying to serve. And so for those uh, folks, um, you know, do you understand urban issues? Um, do you understand um, how school districts run? Do you understand how community centers are run and executed? Can you create curriculum? Can you execute programs? Um, do you understand how to measure impact? Um, all those different things. And you can get that type of experience anywhere. You don't, it doesn't have to be in the sports world. Um, we can teach you the sports stuff. That's great advice. Uh, at SNHU, we have the traditional campus, about 3,000 students, 18 to 22-year-old student. And we give them the same advice about the internships and the experience. We also have, we have over 100,000 online students, a uh, number of sport management majors. Uh, but they're the what we call non-traditional. So most of them are probably working a full-time job. Uh, what type of advice, if they can't do an internship, uh, would you give them if they're interested in breaking into the industry? Yeah, so um, we see that a lot. I meet with a lot of people that are uh, two, three, four steps down the road into a career path and, um, and for whatever reason want to jump, kind of skip over, and interested in maybe uh, thinking about pursuing sports. So um, from a community standpoint, there is a whole bunch of volunteer opportunities, right? You can volunteer with a whole bunch of different organizations um, uh, on the side to be able to get some real tangible experience working with young people, right? And so um, I would encourage them to leverage their expertise, right? If you are uh, in the accounting field, right, and you want to jump into community work, um, can you find an organization that works after school with young people, teaching them finance and how to kind of uh, be responsible with their money and their investments and all these different things? There's tons of organizations out there that are doing that. Get in there, provide some value to that organization and certainly to the demographic of kids they're trying to serve, and then use that as a vehicle to be able to um, to get some experience working with directly with young people, getting your hands uh, dirty and all that stuff. And then I think the other thing that that provides um, is uh, an opportunity to, to decide, you know, intellectually, I'm interested in going into community work in sports, but I haven't done it yet. What does it feel like? And it's just as valuable to go in there as a volunteer and say, hey, I'm here. Actually, it isn't what I thought it was. Let me cross it off the list and not pursue it as it is saying, hey, that was the most energizing, inspirational hour of my week. I'm going to put a double check next to it, right? It's just it, both those things are just as valuable. A number of our students, you know, it's the the draw of sports, uh, but we try to explain to them long hours, 
uh, and can be very challenging. How do you balance that, that work-life balance with such a demanding schedule? I don't. I have trouble with it, to be honest. But, but here's the thing, right? I think that you owe it to yourself to pursue things that you're passionate about. And if you are able to find a job and a career that you're passionate about, it will be hard work, but it won't feel like work, right? Like, you know, I'm in the shower, I'm thinking about different things that we're, that we should be doing and stuff like that because I love thinking about that type of stuff. And so, um, there are certainly times where you have to turn your brain off. Um, and I have a young family uh, and all those things. It's important to them and important to me to be able to carve out time for it. And you find your windows uh, for that stuff. The off-season, the all-star break, the times when the team is on the road. Kind of pick and choose your spots to be able to kind of maintain a level of sanity on that front. But, um, you know, to a certain extent, right, um, your, your passion for the work will fuel you to want to do more and that will help you in your career development and your arc and it'll certainly help with the output uh, from a from a, um, a professional standpoint and contributions to the to the company or the team that you're working with any final words of advice for future sport industry professionals um, I'd say keep plugging away you know it can get a little discouraging just with kind of the percentage of people that are end up getting hired versus the percentage of people that are applying um, just you know stick with it um, you know Find your path, um, and your path may kind of weave in a couple different directions. And I think uh, you know having uh, the same type of grit that our players have on the court when it comes to pursuing your career, and then um, probably more importantly, once you do get that opportunity, having that same type of hunger and the same type of grit um, is really important um, as you try to uh, kind of ascend within the organization, as you try to contribute and run your lane as hard as you you possibly can. That's right. Well, very good advice and. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time, and we're proud to partner with the Celtics. You guys are doing a fantastic job, so keep it up. Yeah, our thank pleasure. You. As the official education partner of the Boston Celtics, Southern New Hampshire University is changing the game for students and their communities. To learn more about the partnership and how it can help you reach your goals, visit snhu.edu backslash Celtics today.